We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're actually going to start at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. Sharon, thank you. Good morning. Let me have my welcome. My name is Matt Fuller. Uh, great to see you, regulars, if you're visiting. Uh, lovely to have you with us. Let's pray as we look at this very interesting, very interesting text. Our Father God, you are a, a God who makes wonderful promises to us, who makes extraordinary demands upon us. You are not a little God. You do great things for us. You ask us to live differently for you. You miraculously transform us so that we can indeed live differently for you in this world. So, Father, as we come to a strong demand upon us that our hearts resist, would you be at work by your Spirit, persuading us of your wisdom, of your goodness, of your truthfulness, of your love for us? so that we would live in a way which pleases you. Amen. At the gym I go to, there's a uh, one of the personal trainers, I've never personally chatted to a great deal, it's called Gillian. Now Gillian is about four foot something or other. She's absolutely tiny and six foot, and uh, six stone. I mean, she's the, the a waffer, a small tiny waif. But she terrifies most of the men in the gym, as far as I can tell. 
those who see her for a session with her as a trainer, she terrifies them. And so you can, you can be in the changing room and there'll be these two men in their 40s or 50s. And clearly you hear them chatting. They're successful businessmen. They're captains of industry, whatever it may be. But one will say to the other, oh, you look a bit nervous. Yes, I'm about to see Gillian. She's going to kill me. I've done nothing since last week. And she'll know. She'll have the monitors all over me. She'll berate me. She's going to kill me. And they're just petrified of Gillian. And you kind of see it when you see her one-on-one, this tiny, tiny thing of a trainer barking orders, the disappointment on her face. But the, the, the capacity she has for driving these men to try and achieve greater things, it's, it's impressive. But you get these very competent men scared of her. And sometimes they think, why bother? If you're a very successful, competent man, why bother having Gillian come and make you feel pathetic, uh, physically and mentally and emotionally? Why go, why put yourself through that? I mean, you could just go to the gym on your own once a week and wander around and feel much better. You could have a Nintendo Wii in your house. We have that. We have Wii Fit. You can sit there in an armchair with a cup of coffee and sort of do this little drumming motion with your hands and ta-da, you've, you've won a 10-kilometer race and you feel good about yourself. I don't know how that's making me fit, but apparently it is. Uh, why, why put yourself through the pain of Gillian? Well, the answer's fairly obvious because she changes you. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's slightly humiliating at times. But she does change you. Sitting in your armchair with a cup of coffee, and we, I mean, I don't think that's doing a whole lot for me. She'll change you through the pain. So let me just ask as we come to this, and you'll see why I think this in a moment. Um, when we come to a passage such as this, if I could put it this way, do you want a God that changes you or do you just want to go through the motions of the Christian life? Just wander around, make yourself feel a little bit better, have a little thin uh, Christian veneer around a largely secular lifestyle. Or do you want a God who changes you? Because the God of the Bible, who is the only true God, he expects to change you. And therefore, that sometimes the demands he makes are very high, but he, he resources us by his spirit to live this way. Why am I saying all this? Look down with me at verse 20. Halfway through verse 20, there's a question mark, then there's a second but. Verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called. If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. If you're a Christian, it is your calling, your vocation, to be unreasonably treated, to behave admirably and have that thrown back in your face, to do good, but to suffer, to be overlooked when you've done something kind, and not to retaliate. That is your calling. Verse 21, you were called to this. Did you realize that, if you're a Christian? You were called to do a good job and be punished. You were called to offer good advice 
and have it thrown back in your face. You were called to do good to a colleague and yet have them stab you in the back. You were called to offer a good service but be unreasonably discriminated against. What sort of God do you want? I mean, that's quite a demand, isn't it? (laughs) Actually, let's be honest. And for most of us here, uh, even as I just start to say these things, instinctively we think, no. (laughs) No, I I don't need to do that. I have my rights. Uh, I don't mind if I behave badly and I get given a hard time. It's annoying, but fair enough. But when I behave really well, if I'm really kind to someone and they treat me unreasonably, if I do a brilliant job for my boss... Uh, and they discriminate against me, I will not tolerate that. I should not tolerate that. Well, to this you were called. Surprise! I was very surprised when I read that this week. Called, expected. I mean, it's not just here either. As we work our way through 1 Peter, it's a fairly common theme. Now, Peter, then, we were almost midpoint uh, through this letter. Peter spent the first half of the letter from chapter 1, verse 1, or certainly to to chapter 2, verse uh, um, 10, explaining the identity of the Christian. You are different. Uh, This phrase we picked up on, you're aliens and strangers. If you're a Christian, you're an alien and stranger in this world. This world is not your home. Don't expect it to be your home. Heaven is your home, and you're passing through this world. So expect to feel somewhat strange here. At times, normal, says Peter. Don't be surprised by that. So that's the identity of a Christian. I mean, wonderful as well. Do you remember these phrases in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 9? Chosen, royal, owned by God, mercied by him. Wonderful, wonderful phrases uh, that we looked at there. But that's the identity of the Christian. Chapter 2, verse 11, there's the turning point. And if you hear last week, here is the Christian strategy. Pretty open secret. Here's the strategy for Christians living in this world. Chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, two things to do. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. One. Live such good lives. Two. So two things to do. Abstain from evil. Do good. And two things to expect. Live such good things among the pagans though that one, they accuse you of doing wrong. Two. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. So there's the Christian strategy. Two things to do. Do good, abstain from evil. Two things to expect. Expect uh, accusation against you. Expect conversion, people to become Christians. That's normal Christian living. Then last week, uh, Simon applied that to society in general, verses 13 to 17, living under authority, a good queen or or a dubious uh, president, whatever it may be, um, but that's living under authority. In a few weeks' time, we'll get to chapter 3, and uh, he'll apply that to marriage. What does that look like in a marriage? Abstaining from evil, doing good, expecting... What does that look like there? But here in this section today, we're really in 18 to 25. It's workplace. It's the workplace. Apply that strategy into the workplace. Abstain from evil, do good. Expect people to accuse you of doing wrong. Expect some to think, gosh, that's different. And want to take more of an interest in the Christian faith. How are, what does this general strategy look like then in the office, hospital, classroom, uh, lecture room? What does it look like in these different places? And in particular, what does it look like when your employer, your boss is unreasonable? 
unjust, harsh. That's what he's talking about. Okay, let's, uh, let, let, there's a, I think it breaks down this way. I'm going to break it down this way anyway. Um, Peter calls us to suffer unjustly, for God commends it, and you do so by trusting the judge. So what are we to do? Suffer unjustly. Why do it? God commends it. How you do it, you trust the judge. We'll spend probably half our time on this first point. Here is a call to suffer unjustly. Verse 18. Say, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now you probably know slavery was a more variable practice back then in the first century. Uh, so we're not to import just employer-employee relationships from the 21st century or slave trade from the 19th century, because back then you get some highly successful professionals, doctors, uh, teachers, who would sell themselves into slavery. They'd be in debt of some kind, and so they would sell themselves. I'll be your slave for a year, um, and it would just be a, a short-term thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a different practice, and you can't precisely map it onto our employment relationships today, because even if you've only sold yourself into slavery for a year, you are a slave. You can't just say, well, here's my resignation, goodbye. You can't do that if you're a slave. We need to bear that in mind when we're looking at the instructions here. But in essence, here is a call to willingly be obedient to those in authority over you. Now, of course, you could apply the, the general strategy in some broad ways. How, how should you be a good employee if you're a Christian? Well, do an excellent job. The, the Lord is not mediocre. Don't do a mediocre job. Be excellent like him as far as you can. Work with honesty and integrity. The Lord is absolutely truthful, so model what he is like. Love people at work. Be kind to them even when they're unreasonable. The Lord loves people who are unreasonable. Don't live for your job or the income it brings. Acknowledge that there is another world you're going to. I mean, these are all general things. But 18, verse 18, the specific call is to submit yourselves even to those who are harsh. It's not nice, is it? Now, there are two little caveats here. The first is, he's only talking here about unjust suffering being commendable. So verse 19, it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? God doesn't commend you if you do a really bad job and get the sack. You can't say, you know, you can't do an appalling job at work and be fired and say, well, the Lord commends me even if my boss does not. He does not. The Lord is only interested, he's only speaking here about unjust suffering. So if you make a mistake at work and get a, a thorough dressing down, you can't say, well, my boss doesn't like me, but God does. Well, that's true, but he doesn't like the fact you've made a mistake. So it's unjust suffering being spoken of here. And the other little caveat in verse 19 is that it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of suffering because he's conscious of God. This is not just being stoical and resentfully accepting what's going on in your life. This is being willing to joyfully carry on because you're conscious of God. Okay, all well and good. Let, let, let's try and 
Earth is a little bit. Some examples. Uh, a while ago, Siobhan Daly. Siobhan Daly is a, a, a Christian actress um, from the East End of London. And uh, uh, last year or so, she was performing in uh, in a theatre. Uh, she was the lead. She had an understudy, and by the terms of her contract, she she could designate a certain number of days when she didn't work and the understudy did. Fine. Last Easter Sunday, she said, "I want Easter Sunday off. I'm a Christian. That's important to me." The employer went nuts and said, "You must work that day." She said, "I don't have to work that day." He sent her a whole stream of abusive texts and phone messages. And she, and then um, fired her. Now, what do you do if you're Siobhan Daly? She's been treated completely unreasonably. It's ended in a termination of a contract. But what do you do? You could, you could stand on your rights and say that is unfair, and I'm going to fight that, and and that's okay. Uh, um, Her decision, as a Christian, was I don't. I don't want to be known as some, I don't want to be known in my industry, and I don't want to be known as a Christian, as someone who takes their employers to court. So I'm not going to do that. And so she decided not to. Perfectly legitimate. I'm not saying it's the only course of action. Her employer, being odd, <laughs> to my mind, and vindictive, decided to sue her for breach of contract. At that point she thought, oh, this is ridiculous. What do I do now as a Christian? Well, I don't know if she literally did this, but she could have read um, 1 Peter 2 verse 14. And given thanks that in God's world there are governors put in place to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. That's a good thing as we thought last week. It is a good thing to have uh, a legal system and a good thing to have a government that uh, implements that. And so at the point that she was sued, she instructed a lawyer and um, won her case in court. Okay, just one example. At first she thought, no, I'm not going to make a big fuss. And then, oh, God, this is ridiculous at this point. And I, I, I'm within my, I can do this. I can instruct a lawyer here. I, yeah. There's one example. Well, I think of Jerry. He describes his boss as a pirate. Not literally. Um, but his boss is unreasonable to him. For some reason, he's just, he takes a great dislike to this lad, this man's Christian faith, and so mocks him in front of the team, belittles him repeatedly. The rest of the team will comment and say, he, he gives you a un- completely unreasonable hard time. He is much harder on you than anyone else. Come bonus time, he gets less than anyone else. He is discriminated against. He has decided, not saying this is the only thing, he has decided he will stay there in that employment. Of course he could get another job in a way that in 1 Peter 2 they couldn't have done. He could get another job. He's decided that it is wise to stay where he is because in his team he has lots of opportunities to speak of Jesus Christ. And so he thinks it's worth sucking up the unjust treatment in order to have those opportunities. You might disagree with that. You might think he should just walk and get another job. Okay, he's entitled to do that. But at this point, he's thinking, as a Christian, I can suck this up, and I have opportunities here. I'm going to stay. Of course, the striking thing is, in the last year, he's led one of his work colleagues to know Jesus. They sat and they read the Bible on a regular basis. And a part of that was his colleague looking on and saying, how do you put up with this? I couldn't put up with that. How do you put up with that? 
than the man was able to say, well, let me tell you, let me show you, because I have a better hope than this world. Now, you can do differently in your workplaces. There is chapter 2, verse 14, but there is a willingness in that man to say, I can endure the unjust suffering for the sake of my witness to other people. That's not a command to, to act in such a way. You can do differently in this world, in, in the West, where we have legal rights. You can do differently. But you see the principle at stake here. They, what's this? These, those sort of examples, the Siobhan and the, the man in Mayfair, they may be unhelpful because they're, they're sort of fairly stark. And I think, I wonder for us today, this is, it more comes down to the, the daily interactions. So let's just reduce it down to the, the smaller things. It's just a daily interaction, and someone in your workplace, you, you are kind to them. You cover, you, let's put it this way, your boss makes a, a mistake of some kind. You scurry around, you put in a few extra hours to, to, to make it up, to, to compensate for their mistake. You're kind to them. But then they treat you really unreasonably. They don't want to know you the next week. They're a bit embarrassed that, they, that you know. And they're just deeply unreasonable to you. So, no, your job's not on the line. They've just been unkind. What are you going to do about that? See, the default setting of my heart is to retaliate in some way. Perhaps to let my other colleagues know how unreasonable he's been. Peter says, look, expect. To this you are called. Suffer for doing good. And endure it. Suck it up. Endure it. Don't retaliate. Don't shout out, that's so unreasonable. How dare you do such a thing? Carry on. Go again. So I wonder if it's actually the level of daily interactions that this becomes more real for us than the big issue. I mean, he's really talking about um, employers, uh, slaves, masters here. That's how it begins, verse 18. I do wonder, though, if... um, by the time you get to verse 20, 21, the issue is broadening out a bit. I mean, he's going to give us the example of Jesus. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now, Jesus wasn't treated unfairly by his boss. He didn't have one as such. He's treated unfairly by other people. So although the presenting issue is how you relate to your master, there's a general principle here in life. <laughs> Endure unjust suffering. Suffer for doing good. So I don't think, if you're sat here and thinking, well, you know, I'm not in a workplace nine to five, Monday to Friday. Well, where are you? Maybe you're at home. Uh, maybe with a spouse. I would suggest this applies just as much there. I don't want to project my own household onto yours. But I would guess you have some interactions, if you're married, a, bit, a little bit like this at home where you both have a very late night or broken sleep and you're a little bit grumpy in the morning and you make a cup of tea for your spouse, it isn't the right colour and they comment on it. Now, you're very tired, they're very tired. How unreasonable. You have made a cup of tea. That was a nice thing to do. And they've commented upon the colour. Well, you see, the default setting of my heart is to retaliate, to suggest that they make it themselves the next time but in a voice which is not quite so bright and breezy. 
And I think Peter would say even in that setting, when you do good and you suffer, endure it. I mean, I know know this is a silly example now, isn't it? But that's the principle. Enduring unjust, unjust treatment when you've been really good, really kind to someone else. That's the principle. I mean, he's primarily applying it to the workplace, I know. Radically counterintuitive. When you're treated unfairly at work by your spouse, by your children, by your parents, a default setting is self-pity, frustration, irritation, resentment. Win. Retaliate. Defend self. And Peter says, no, no. No, when you do good and you give and given a hard time, just endure it. Now, look, why would you do such a thing? Why? Why, when you could retaliate and make yourself feel much better? Why would you do such a thing? Well, briefly then, two things. Uh, well, the, first, that why do it? For God commends it. For God commends it. It's there twice in verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. End of verse 20, end of verse 20 this is commendable before God. Literally, I don't know why it's not translated this way, literally this is gracious. This is gracious if you do such a thing. Commendable. Why? Why does God think it good if you're kind but get treated unfairly but just endure it? Why does God think that's good? Because it's not natural. Because it shows that he's at work in your life. Just, I won't do the one, but just flick over chapter 4, verse 14. It's not precisely the same issue, but it's similar. Chapter 4, verse 14. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So if you're insulted and bear up, that is a sign, according to chapter 4, verse 14, that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So why does God therefore think it commendable if you're in a workplace and you're treated unfairly when you behaved very well and you endure it? God says that there is an example of my spirit at work in someone. See, let's be honest, this is not natural to, to suck it up and not retaliate. It's supernatural. It shows that God is at work in your life, if you can live in such a way. That's a wonderful testimony. So I chat with this guy who, who uh, works in Mayfair, and I think that is impressive. God is clearly at work in your life. And his non-Christian colleague who watched how he lived and behaved said, that is very striking that you can do such a thing. Tell me more. See, that's why it's commendable. Because, again, it's chapter 2, verse 12. This is some people looking on and glorifying God, saying, your God is interesting. Because if a Christian who endures unjust suffering is saying, comfort is not my God. Rights, asserting my rights, that's not my God. Ease is not my God. 
getting as much as I possibly can in this life for myself. That's not my God. I have a better God. Really? Who is he? The Christian who can live in such a way is saying, I don't have to make this world as comfortable as it possibly can be for me because I have a better home. Really? What is that home? That's why it's commendable to God. He loves it. Now, how can you live in such a way? Last thing. So suffer unjustly. Why? God commends it. How can you do such a thing? Well, actually, there are two reasons in uh, these last few verses, 23 to 25. I want to spend the whole of next week on the second one, which is 24 to 25. He transforms us. Jesus transforms us. But um, we're just going to look at the first one this week. How can you live in such a way? How can you endure unjust suffering? Well, look at the example of Jesus Christ. Verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that's how you can endure unjust suffering. Of course, when you look on the example of Jesus Christ, you can't say, well, he doesn't know what, he doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand, he doesn't have a boss like me. He was never treated like me. No, look, that Jesus Christ endured. I mean, what's the example that's given? Verse 23. It's him dying on the cross. Uh, uh, he endured a sort of level of insult and suffering and unjust treatment that you and I will not receive in all likelihood. So you can't say he doesn't know. I mean, the sort of, treatment of a crucifixion. Crucifixions were a bit like a football match in those days. They're crowd entertainment. And just as, you know, if you watch one of the games of the European Championship, you may have 30,000 fans verbally abusing one individual and giving one individual a really hard time. That's probably not very nice if 30,000 people question your parentage uh, and whether you had a father. That's, you know, that sort of language that's being used. That's probably unpleasant, but that's what goes on at crucifixion. Everyone would wander past and just abuse those. So he knows... He knows what unjust treatment is, but what did he do? Verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And you can't do this unless you know there's a just judge. How wonderful to know that when you do good and are abused, or when you do good and are just overlooked for it, God knows. He knows. He will reward you for the good you do. He will punish those who mistreat you. He knows. And he judges justly, perfectly. He never misses a thing. Years ago, the only time I've done jury service, it was a a case of GBH, committed by one man against another in a nightclub. And there were CCTVs all over this nightclub. But when the incident actually took place, it was off camera. And you heard, you know, heard the defense and uh, the prosecution. You think, well, you know, it took us a while to deliberate as a jury. We weren't entirely certain because we hadn't seen everything. And you really wanted to have seen everything. You wanted a camera on the precise incident. Then you'd have known who started it, etc., etc. There was ambiguity for us. There's never ambiguity for God. He sees everything. He knows everything. He will judge justly because he sees all. Trust yourself to him. So what does that mean practically at work? Well, you you work hard on particularly winning a new client. 
or you come up with a new idea of some kind and someone else takes the credit. And it was your idea. It was your client. But they get the revenue, they get the reward for it. And it's just, it is just unreasonable. You've been, you've, you've suffered unjustly in such a setting. What do you do? Well, according to 1 Peter 2, you sit down and pray and you say, Father, that's annoying. But I trust you. I trust that you have seen what I have done. You have seen what they have done. And I trust that you will judge justly. I don't need to fight for my rights because I trust that you will provide for me. And so I can put aside my anger and I can forgive this man. Just so, I think. Or again, you, you go out of all your way to help a colleague who's desperately struggling. They never say, thank you for your help. They abuse your kindness. And you sit down and say, well, that's a, f-, you know, what is that? How, how deeply unreasonable. We don't retaliate. You don't spread it around everyone else in the staff room, in the office. You sit down and say, Lord, that's, I'm a bit, I'm a bit peed at that, if I'm honest. But I trust you. You've seen how I've behaved. You've seen how they behaved. And I trust that you're judged justly, so I don't have to fight back. Because the approval of you and your assessment is far more significant than theirs. You trust the just judge. So it's quite a big deal, isn't it? <clears throat> I think. Being called to suffer, to suffer unjustly. But it's a call. Verse 21. To this you were called. Suffer for doing good. But why? God commends it. And others will look on and be very surprised by it. It may lead to great opportunities. And you can only do this if you know that God is a just judge. And that his spirit is at work in your life to change you. So you can live in such a way. But just don't be surprised, Peter would say. You're called to this. Don't be surprised that this is the case. Indulge me as I close. Uh, Today is the 112th anniversary of the death of J.C. Ryle. Did you know that? Probably not. J.C. Ryle was one of this country's greatest churchmen, uh, Bishop of Liverpool. Um, Not very popular in his day because he was far more evangelical than anyone else in the Church of England. Uh, But he's left us a great legacy of his sermons and uh, quotes. He's one of the greats of this country. If you're not from this country, you've probably never heard of him, but you should do. He's brilliant. And he died on the 10th of June, 112 years ago. At his funeral, there was no one there. A handful of people are described as being at his funeral. A handful for a man who had given his life in the service of Jesus Christ. One of his last sermons, he uh, just said this. He was talking about the cost of being a Christian. He said, it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a nominal Christian, to go to church, that's cheap. That's easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, to confess Christ, that will cost you. And you can only do it if you know that your father is a just judge. Strike, isn't it? Suffer when you do good. Why would you do such a thing? If God is at work in your life and you desire the commendation of him, 
Let's pray together. Our Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. So you, uh, you know better than us, but certainly better than I, the, the resistance that is in our hearts to teaching such as this. We're constantly wanting to look for the caveat, the, the what if, the but surely. So Father, we pray that we'll be wise, we're grateful that there is legal redress in a land such as ours. We're grateful that we're not slaves, that we're employees who can leave our jobs and look for another one. But you know that the difficult circumstances, you know the places you've put us in. And so, Father, we pray at minimum that you would give us the grace. You would change us so that we can endure the unkindness that is unreasonable, particularly at work. We can bear up when we we behave well and are treated badly. We can't do this in our own strength. So please be at work amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Jason. But just, uh, it's complicated, isn't it? Um, and working this out in your own particular environment, situation, setting, I think that's very hard to do that on your own. Let's talk about this. Uh, and for one person, it may well be right to instruct the lawyers in a particular setting. In another case, it may not. You have wisdom. But in terms of the daily day, day-to-day interactions, hopefully that's clear.